Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and most of you who are involved with the pro-life movement will have heard of this horrifying story a couple of weeks back out of Washington, D.C., where a number of pro-lifers were arrested, and in their possession they had a number of aborted babies. Now, as this interview will make clear, they were not actually arrested in connection with having those babies. Those of you who have listened to previous interviews I've done on this show with everybody from Troy Newman to Dr. Monica Miller will know that during the history of the pro-life movement, frequently pro-lifers have, for example, gone through the dumpsters of abortion clinics to retrieve the children there, to give them to give them a, a Christian funeral, a Christian burial. In an age where children have become trash, Christians must become trash collectors. And we'll give you the details of what happened in just, in just a few moments. But I wanted to talk to somebody uh, who had been involved with this because uh, although 115 babies were discovered in a box outside this abortion clinic in Washington, D.C., five of those babies, they were basically infants. I, I posted pictures of these to my blog at thebridgehead.ca. They've been covered by groups like Live Action. Lila Rose posted these photographs to Twitter. And and one of the things about these images is what makes them so particularly horrifying is that they're both awful and beautiful at the same time. You see these these children who are such obvious, so obviously children, but have obviously been the victims of such horrifying violence. And so to kind of have a conversation about what happened, how these babies were found, how these photographs were taken, and what happens next for, for what people are now referring to as the DC-5, I, I reached out to, uh, to A.J. Hurley, who's actually the man who took the photographer, I took the photographs of the babies. He works now with with survivors of the abortion holocaust, which is an organization out of California that I worked with in the past. I've actually spoken at one of their conferences, and I I recently trained their interns in Washington D.C. right before the pandemic, or just outside D.C. I should say, and did some pro life activism with them on the streets. So AJ is with that group, and he's also involved with this this developing story about these these murdered children that were found, these photographs that were taken, which are now circulating. So to give us the details on on this story and what actually happened. Here's my conversation with AJ Hurley. Before we get into uh, the photography of the of the babies that were discovered in Washington DC, uh, just so our, our listeners have a bit of an idea of who you are. I know, I know you're from California. You've been working in the pro-life movement for a while. What's your background? How did you get into, involved with the pro-life movement? I started off as a sidewalk counselor. My wife and I were going down to West Hollywood and sidewalk counseling there and we started really going to churches and trying to get pastors and churches involved. That was, uh, we learned pretty quickly was a big mistake. Pastors don't like to get involved in this issue and everybody laughs at that, but I was, I was so naive at the time thinking that, that I could get, you know, everybody that I'd known for a while, just, they would come down and help us. And so basically started a snowball of interest into why, uh, that, that was the case and what's wrong with this American church. I started doing a documentary on this subject and found out this was a long problem in the pro-life movement with getting pastors and clergy and the church involved. And so through a series of events and me doing this documentary, I met a guy named Jeff White. Jeff White kind of took me under his wing and we started, he just started training me as a, as a pro-life activist. And one thing led to another and I became the director of Survivors. And 
My background is a bit interesting because I've been in the medical field for 20 years, spent 10 years as an EMT, went, got a bachelor's degree, and then became trained as a respiratory care practitioner, special training in uh, Neopedes respiratory care, putting little babies on ventilators. And saw a huge discrepancy between the value that we placed on these little ones and 21-week-old babies that was putting on ventilators and coming out of the NICU and the ones that we were basically just murdering, for lack of a better term. And the value discrepancy there was really nothing other than a mere fiat decision of whether another person values them and deems them intrinsically worthy of life. And so this really catapulted me into a deep, you know, deep concern for this human rights issue. I started volunteering my time, became the director, and then now I'm full-time in the pro-life movement for the last year. I know that there was many babies that were found at this DC clinic, but the famous pictures would be of these five five babies. They're, they're truly horrifying photographs. Can you give us some context for the organization that first, it, it's so strange to say obtained babies, but that is what happened. How, how they got the, these aborted babies, these abortion victims, how you got involved and how you ended up taking these photographs. Could you just kind of walk us through that? Yeah, so we do a lot of work recently in the last couple of years with fetal organ harvesting. And through that work, I became with friends with members of POW, uh, this uh, progressive anti-abortion uprising group. We are very different in our ideologies, but have worked together to try to end fetal organ harvesting. And that's very rampant in liberal states such as California. Now, I become dear friends with Teresa and Lauren Handy. Actually, Lauren used to work for survivors for a number of years, worked for survivors. A lot of, a lot of people don't know that, but it was only recently in the last couple of years, uh, year or so that she went over to POW. So I knew these two very well. We had actually just spent the entire month activism in a huge West Coast tour hitting all ma major fetal trafficking hubs. And then I, my wife and I were in New York at the time with Created Equal and a few other groups doing something separate. So when they found these babies, they called me right away and was like, AJ, you have to come down here immediately. We need you. We need your help. We need your support. And so Lori, my wife, and I took a four and a half hour train ride from New York City, Margaret Singer and Planned Parenthood to Teresa's doorstep. And we're there on the day they picked those babies up. We arrived that night and literally stayed with them, slept. And <laughs> I mean, we all slept in the same apartment. At, I, we did not leave their side for two weeks that's kind of where i came in this whole involvement just to uh, just to help document to help emotionally and just to help just decide make decisions as to how to proceed how did they get the babies so on march 25th Teresa and lauren were outside of washington surgery center which was a abortion clinic by a i don't like to use the word doctor but abortionist named Cesare Santangelo, and they were just sidewalk counseling and saw a truck pull up by a company, a biomedical waste company called Curtis Bay. The driver came out and then went inside and came out with uh, a few boxes. They saw two boxes sitting on a dolly. They approached the driver and 
basically just asked him, hey, do you know what's in those boxes? And it was clear, according to their, you know, recalling of the events that that he just had no clue. You could tell this guy who had probably been doing this job for years and really had no clue. So when they told him that it was aborted babies, he had a visceral emotional reaction and was frantically looking at his paperwork to verify that this was an abortion clinic. And so by God's grace, he was very upset over this matter. And they used that to emotionally appeal to him to ask him, hey, can we please take one of these boxes and give these children a the proper dignity and burial that they deserve. And frantically, he said, well, I scan these boxes in, I'm going to look the other way. And at that point, Lauren grabbed the box and then took it back to a place of safety and live streamed on her phone, not a live stream, but a live feed of her opening this box. And inside were 115 preborn image bearers of God. 110 of those babies were first trimester, and five of those children were very late gestational ages, very late second, but I, in my assumption, most of them were early third. Some one in particular, Jonathan was almost full term. I had a, a, a private OBGYN date that baby at over 34 weeks gestation. So as a respiratory therapist putting babies on a ventilator, I can tell you every single one of those five babies would have lived on their own. And some of them with very little to no medical help whatsoever. So incredibly gruesome. I've seen more abortion footage than 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 I than I than I care to remember. I, I've seen aborted babies retrieved from dumpsters before. Like I've seen trimester, you know, first trimester where you know it's a it's a tiny arm, a couple of inches long, with translucent fingers still. And I've seen a you know a, a a bigger baby, one that I could you know kind of hold in my hold in my hands, and the back of his head was caved in. And what I found was when you see this thing for the first time, your brain doesn't really have context for, you know, like a baby in a jar or a baby's severed arm folded in a cloth. What was your reaction when you actually saw these babies for the first time? It was weird. A friend from the Daily Wire just asked me this question. So I just had to write out a response to him. And a keen observation, what you just said, and spoke as, as someone who had really had experience with doing these things. You you look at these these bodies and you know, I, I worked on an ambulance for five years. I was an EMT for 10. I've seen a lot of dead people. And I've even worked on a lot of cases where children have died trying to save them. But this was just tangibly different. It felt cold. It felt sterile. It felt dark. It felt like a sense of abandonment. And it was like my mind couldn't separate the depravity that I was witnessing and the image bearers of God that it happened to. It was almost like it was a tangible representation of everything wrapped in one. And it was just, it was pure evil is, is the way that I could describe it. And something so pure being treated in such a depraved and destructive and despicably wicked way. I remember leaving the room 
just beside myself and thinking the words, I will never be the same. And truly, Jonathan, uh, there is nothing more wicked. And I, I knew this before, but, but, but now so tangibly clear, there's nothing more wicked and nothing more evil you can do to an image bearer of God than to take these precious, innocent little children and do what abortionists do to them. Abortion truly is the most vile and demonic thing that any nation or anybody could be a part of. Everything inside of me now is just energized to end this evil once and for all. How were Lauren and the other the other activists with the uh, progressive anti-abortion uprising group, how were they doing after finding out what was in the box? Beside themselves. I think that's part of the reason why they called me is just to have a brother figure kind of come and support and, and help. And these girls were just beside themselves. I, I, and for right, and we all were rightfully so. And yeah, it, they, it, we're not, we're all not well. I mean, to this day, you know, we're, we're not okay. I saw the pictures you took and what you saw is far more horrifying than what I saw because there's the babies are even older. And so it's, it's, it's sort of bordering even closer to recognized infanticide. And it just strips away any of the cant or the rhetoric that you can use to justify abortion, right? There's a point at which even a, you know, a pro abort like Bill Maher would be like, okay, come on. It, this is, this is a baby at this point. What do you think? Like, you know, like, look, you were already involved in the movement. So was Lauren Handy and, and her colleagues. You guys have been exposing abortion for a long time. You work with survivors. So and I know a lot of their key work is, is using abortion victim photography. What do you th- what do you think it is about seeing what you saw? when you already knew intellectually and rationally that this is what abortion was that affected you so profoundly, you knew this was happening every day. You would, you had told thousands of people that this was happening every day, right? You had an understanding and you had a visual understanding prior to this. So what do you think it was about this? Do you think it's the sensory memory of actually handling them that kind of gives it another aspect, another dimension of reality that you hadn't encountered previously? Yes and no. I mean, sure. I think there's different levels of outrage and understanding of of the evil that abortion is. But even, uh, to be honest, brother, even seeing these videos and these images, it cuts through the shroud of euphemism and brainwashing that is really characteristic of the spell that the nation is under right now. So, the ideology that is being pumped into America and our children and and Americans as a whole is is one that essentially says scientific materialism is the guiding principle of ethics and materialism matter is all we have matter is you know there's no such thing as anything beyond matter the material realm Therefore, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the universe doesn't have you in mind. We were created by stardust and stardust we will return to. Therefore, these these transcendent moral values are nothing other than a a societal construct. But what happens, and this is this is the greatest evidence, in my opinion, of the Christian worldview, is that what happens is when you see and you look at manifestations of great wickedness and evil 
it cuts through the euphemism and lies that that we tell ourselves and the it really exposes the defunct and wrong worldview for lack of a better way to describe it that uh, scientific materialism has has afforded america and it really shows there is such a thing and this is the most tangible aspect of kind of thing i took away from this is there is such a thing as supernatural evil and what has done to these babies is something greater than just you know what society has told us is you know and and contrived as what evil is what was it like to photograph them it was hard i had to i had to just basically separate my emotions and and this is something i you know, we've done as, as a medical professional, I worked in ambulances and working in ER and in the medical field, you deal with death a lot and you just, it it became initially it was a visual, visceral, emotional response. And then it just became, okay, let's set all of that aside and let's go to work. And a few times, if one of the girls, I, I, we just had to be vicious about it like when a few times when the girls would start crying or something we would just have to say no stop that we have a job to do we have all we have to get all of these babies photographed videographed we have to do this and for the sake of justice for these babies for the sake of the greater narrative of of what abortion is and the the, the ideal the, the the common goal and so we had to shut off a lot of those emotions and and tuck them into a place where we're going to have to deal with a lot of this in the coming weeks. The one, I think the picture that was the hardest to look at was that little girl whose head was partially caved in because her brains had been suctioned out. The thing that people need to understand just for not only this, the story and, and having this awake America to the, the horrors of abortion, but really getting justice for these children is i felt like in a way this is a grace of god that he allowed this to happen and and you know he's it's even crazier that he's allowed women who really don't don't hold to some of which don't hold to a biblical worldview to be the ones that expose this and to have the courage because it's a living and breathing rebuke to to the, the the lack of courage of the American church. But I, I'm looking back, it's just been such a whirlwind, Jonathan. Like the whole thing has just been so, so it's been the craziest few weeks, I think, of our life. And, and we're just, we're just trying to get through every day. One of the things that I think a lot of listeners will be a little bit confused about is is the way this story broke and the way most of us heard about it for the first time is, you know, there's this footage of the cops um, raiding Lauren Handy's apartment in Washington, D.C. She's sitting on the curb. She says that what the cops find is going to blow people's minds was her words. So how did that all go down? You know, you come and join them on the same day that they find the babies outside the clinic after they, the, the, the man who's supposed to pick them up lets them make off with it. You arrive. You guys work together. You photograph the babies. I know there was a funeral held for the babies. And, and then what happens after that? What was the decision-making process to call the police? This is part of the unfortunate reality of how things happened. There was a lot of people and organizations that were trying to help. A lot of real tough decisions that had to be made. The It took longer than we thought originally in order to just 
get this information out. The the original goal was one we had the first order of business was we had to make sure we photographed all the evidence so that it wouldn't they wouldn't just cover it up, you know. And second of all, we were trying desperately to try to to find an independent pathologist that would look at these babies. And because there was there was clear and I can tell you prima, prima facie evidence of partial birth abortion and infanticide in these babies. And I'll, and I'll get to that, but let me just first answer your question. So we, it was very hard to, a, a couple of days went by of, of us trying to, trying to find an independent pathologist and failing. We had talked to some very well-known, the lawyers of some very well-known pathologists, inc- including the one that did the autopsy on George Floyd, but no, no one would even touch it. At a certain point, we just decided, okay, we need to deliver these babies up. There was a lot of competing interests and values at, at you know, as, as to what the priorities were. Calf, uh, um, Lauren is a, a diehard Catholic and, and Teresa is an atheist. So Teresa was more focused on, and I understand both perspectives, justice for these five babies that had what we perceived as clear evidence of, of federal crimes. And Lauren, all she cared about was getting these babies a proper burial. So uh, we negotiated a compromise. I, my wife and I drove with Lauren, drove 110 first trimester babies to uh, a priest who just went public yesterday, a, a, a wonderful man named Father Bill Kuchensky. And he was gracious enough to risk a lot and, and, and give these babies not only a, a proper funeral mass, but all of them funeral mass, but then bury 110 first trimester babies. And then the, the five babies that were so clearly the, the victims of, of potential crimes, then we, the decision was made to turn these babies over. So where, where it comes a lot of controversy and a lot of misinformation, a lot of slander is first, the media was running with this story that the FBI raided Warren's home and this crazed pro-lifer is harboring fetuses in her, her apartment. And it was just so far from the truth. What ended up happening, it was quite the opposite. On March 29th, the lawyers representing Lauren and Teresa wrote, and I have a letter to back this up, contacted DCPD and arranged for these babies to be picked up by DCPD. What happened, Jonathan, and this is the shocking thing in it, it took DCPD almost 24 hours to pick these babies up. And in the meantime, who they picked up first was not the babies, but what I believe happened is they, they tipped off the FBI to pick up Lauren on a completely separate Thing. She did a, a Red Rose rescue and two years earlier where they blocked the clinic and she was arrested for that. We're getting a hold of DCPD to pick up these babies. The very next day, we find out the babies hadn't been picked up, but they swoop up and pick up Lauren outside of her apartment, never even went inside her apartment and arrested her on some a face charge in conspiracy. She's looking at 11 years all of a sudden. and. Then DCPD came several hours later with forensics, homicide, 
and a ton of media now running this story that the FBI raided Lauren Handy's home in order to acquire these fetuses that she had been harboring in her refrigerator. So it's just nothing other than slander. And, and unfortunately, everybody has on either side is is really trashed. And even pro-life people, unfortunately, you know, were, were trashing and just throwing Lauren like totally under the bus for this. I find a lot of the people that were that were leveling that critique, though, a just have different goals in mind. Like there was one person, you know, critiquing the Red Rose rescues because it's they basically said it made abortion workers uncomfortable. And like the point of pro-life activism is not to make pro make abortion workers comfortable. And it's not e it's not even first and foremost the conversion of abortion workers. It's the saving of babies from abortion. I felt like a lot of the primary criticism just kind of missed the point. It's like well, like well, you know, that's not what the intent is here. And as for the Red Rose Rescues, right? That was done with Monica Miller then a couple of years ago, right? Dr. Monica Miller from Michigan? Yeah. She's a good friend of mine. I love Monica. Monica's the best. She actually wrote the foreword to my book on abortion victim photography. She's a wonderful lady. If the listeners have not read her book, Abandoned, I believe it is the best book ever, in my opinion, sorry, the best book ever written on, on abortion. Yes. Oh, no. It's 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 beautifully written. What is what is Lauren's legal status at the moment? Is she facing, is, has she been released? What's going on with all of that? It's a whole mess. She's facing a lot of different charges, but none of them have to, anything to do with babies. And to be honest, Jonathan, they don't want to prosecute anybody. This is my opinion. And it makes it makes sense. They don't want to prosecute anybody with these babies because what would happen is we would be able to depose everybody involved, the abortionist, the, the, the workers at the abortion clinic, and we would be able to find out a ton in discovery as to what's happened here. So the pro-abortion, big abortion left is doing nothing. They want nothing more than to cover this. They want nothing more than this to go away immediately. So I really doubt that any of us will be charged not for bringing, not me, for me and, you know, and Lauren bringing the first trimester babies across state lines to give them a proper burial, not for, for anything. I, I don't think that they will. And, and, you know, I almost, I almost wish they did because I, I would love to expose Santangelo and this clinic for, for nothing more than, than the atrocities that are happening. And th this is the beauty, I think, of this in God of Sovereignty. He allowed us, and I, I was going to say this earlier, but what's happened <laughs> is he gave us this gift of uh, being allowed to really peel back the curtain and look, have a visceral look into what abortion is. This, this is happening. Hundreds of abortion clinics every day. And, and these five babies are really indicative of something so much greater that is, you know, what people have tried to desperately even deny. I mean, what's, what's the beauty of these photos is, is people deny that this is even happening. So still, you know, and so it's, people haven't seen victims like this to this degree. And I, I think, I don't, 15 years, maybe, maybe even ever. And so the fact that we've been able to really peel back the curtain and look into 
have a, a just tangible look into what is happening every day in this country and the radical pro-abortion extremism in this country is is just deplorable and i think people now are waking up to it and i just pray that these five are become somewhat of a how would you say it like a, a more represent representative of of abortion in general and the victims that happen every day. Yeah, no, these five are the faces of the faceless millions that we know are gone, but that we never saw. Yeah, you said it a lot better than I could. (laughs) That's exactly true. One of the interesting things that you see whenever pro-life activists expose a particularly heinous aspect of the evil of abortion is immediately the full force of the establishment comes down on their head. So what you had was, you know, with David Daleiden back in 2015, they threw every charge they could at him. Kamala, now vice president, then attorney general in, in California, raided his apartment. And and the Center for Medical Progress still has an enormous amount of footage that, that they've never been able to release because they instantly got hammered with every legal charge they can think of. You see the same thing with Lauren Handy now. I would argue that based on everything I've seen with your guys' photographs and the videos that you guys have put out so far, that this is undoubtedly the most shocking expose since. It's ironic because, you know, we had, Teresa and I had dinner with David a few weeks prior to this. David's a friend of ours. And to see what he has has gone through is just unbelievable. And, but but you're, you're totally right, Jonathan. What happens is every time this gets exposed, all of the energy and and vitriol is placed not on who it should be and all the negative press. And even, even from our side, it's, it's interesting people getting mad at us for exposing the victim photography, but it's like, wow, can you please just shift the burden of, of anger towards the real, the, the real people who are doing these abortions every day? The, the people that we should be angry at is Cesare Santangelo. Uh, the people we should be angry at is American establishment for letting this happen every day. Not for the, but for some reason, both, you know, not only the radical left, but even our own, our own movement is, is crucifying the people that whistleblow and, and show us the, the, the just aspects of, of what's happening and, and the victims thereof. Yeah, I don't have a lot of patience for those who are assisting the abortion industry in the cover-up of the killing of children. I think it's fundamentally ridiculous. I I, I think that Dr. Monica Miller is correct when she says these children have the right to be seen, and only by being seen can they take can they can they actually take their place as rightful members of the human family. But there are so many reasons that these images are are, are fundamentally necessary. And I guess that's what I, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you. So I, of course, saw these images. And, and, and I'll say for the listeners, too, there were also a lot of pro-lifers with big followings who posted the images. Like Lila Rose posted every single one of the photographs on Twitter, and she got a lot of backlash for it. But there's a lot of, a lot of prominent pro-life leaders, many of them who have, who have come on this podcast and discussed the issue of abortion victim photography, who did post them. Is there a single, a single mainstream outlet that published any of these photographs? I don't believe so. No, it really is staggering because one of the things that's uh, that, that's that's so perverse about about our mainstream media is that when it bleeds, it leads unless it's a preborn child. And it's such a it's utter hypocrisy, John, Jonathan, because when you turn on your TV this week, you will see victim after victim images of 
uh, victims from the war of Ukraine, right? But conveniently, when it doesn't fit the entire uh, narrative of what they don't want you to see, when it doesn't fit the agenda of the establishment and in in, in keeping the status quo, then the, suddenly the anger is is displaced and put disproportionately on those who expose abortion. And, and it's unfortunate. So where, where are you guys planning to go from here? I know the babies have been, have been taken into custody, I suppose is the best way to put it. And likely they'll be just turned back over to the company that was supposed to get rid of them in the first place. The media will try to kill the story by making it about an unrelated uh, FACE Act charge, freedom of access to abortion clinic entrances on Laura Handy from a couple of years ago so that they can pretend that this arrest had something to do with her you know, harboring murdered children in her apartment. Many pro-lifers, of course, are doing their best to get these images out there. I know they've already been put on signs and carried outside of abortion clinics in some places, so those children will be represented in public and their fate will be made known what what is what's next for for you and what's next for for the activists who were involved in this i mean what's next for us is we are just going to keep exposing keep putting pressure so this is far from over there is a momentum building the story keeps building on this uh now we have almost 70 congress and senators behind this that are calling for an autopsy the dc mayor now is in charge of this case and with it took them a whole not even a work day to <clears throat> come forward by the time they had these babies to end to, to release a statement that no crimes had been committed and no autopsy will be performed so i do want to highlight the need for an autopsy this feels like a cover-up Several of these victims, and if you have not seen these victims, I, I urge every single one of the people listening to this to to go either to Survivor's Instagram, survivors.la, or live actions video that they put out about these babies and see them. But there is prima facie evidence of partial birth abortion and infanticide. One of these babies, the, the, the one you said that you thought was the most gruesome, Harriet, she had one of her eyes blown open. And the back of her skull snipped and her brains sucked out, but the rest of her entire body uh, completely intact. The need for an autopsy would, several things would be able to be determined. Was digoxin given? Digoxin is the uh, euthanized, euthanized drug that would be given the day before to stop the baby's heart so that they don't come out alive. Was digoxin given? Is there air in the in these these children's lungs? Have they taken their first breath? Right. So these are these are two just basic tests that only tests that only a autopsy would be able to reveal. Another one of these children, a few of them had strong evidence that they were they were dismembered alive. And one in particular, young little Phoenix, precious little child, we couldn't determine the sex because this child was still in its amniotic sac and had a rare delivery of this child in, in something called an in-call delivery, in this case, an in-call abortion. So the question is, how in the world, because normally you would cut this baby's umbilical cord, let it die inside or clamp the umbilical cord, let it die inside, and then induce labor and deliver this child out to a dead baby. But how in the world do you do that 
and get around this child in order to clamp or cut the umbilical cord and keep the, the child intact and still in its amniotic sac. So we, I really do believe that the burden of proof is on the other side to assert how this child wasn't. I mean, the, the facts seem to be indicating that this, this baby was delivered, the umbilical cord cut, and then left to die. I mean, when you look at this child, it's it's still blue in the amniotic sac. So this baby was given probably tons, you know, the mother's given tons of misoprostol to induce labor. This baby was, you know, had the umbilical cord cut and just left there in its amniotic sac to suffocate in its own amniotic fluids. Just just horrible, horrible. And the need for an autopsy is, is so there. It's, it's far from over. We're, we're putting a lot of pressure on DC mayor and the medical examiner to do this autopsy and, and, and just reveal what we all believe is, is partial birth abortion and infanticide. I guess a final question for you, Aaron, would be how can people help? One of the things that I would urge everybody to do is to actually to share the photos. If you're if you're horrified by them, that is the appropriate human response. If you find them like horrible and grotesque to look at, that's because you're looking at a murdered human and you should feel that way. The mainstream media wants to cover up and suppress the photos, and so the best thing that you can do to counter that is to share them with your followers. Do you have anything uh, that you'd ask our listeners to do? First of all, you can contact the DC mayor. If you go to survivors.la and the Instagram or my AJ Hurley, my Instagram, you will find the number to the DC mayor. I don't have it on me because I'm using my phone to record this. But first of all, call the mayor's office, call the medical examiner's office and demand an autopsy. Second of all, share the living crap out of every one of this, every little bit of this story tell your friends and and please just we need justice for the five is the hashtag we're using we need to build uh, people need to see these babies like you said thank you so much for saying that i'm so glad that you're behind uh victim image photography i'm way more behind it now after seeing this i am like wow these uh, the amount of lives and and just minds and hearts that have changed the amount of people coming forward and saying i was for abortion but now i saw these babies and i am not one person said i'm jonathan one person said i'm not only i'm not only now pro-life but now i believe in supernatural evil just from seeing these babies so please share these images force people to see these babies and the, the this these images are the only visible, tangible representation of their life that they will ever be seen and do not let their blood and their sacrifice and, you know, what's happened to them go, go to waste. So those are two things that I would say, and then be, just be aware that we, this is far from over. If you can make a sacrifice to come out at one of our next rallies, I know at a certain point there will be another rally. We just had one at the medical examiner's office, and, and it's far from over. So please keep following the story. AJ, thanks so much for, for all of your work. We really appreciate it because I know it takes quite a toll, especially the, the kind of work that you were doing. So thanks so much, and thanks for coming on to share with all this with our listeners. Oh, you're welcome, brother. Uh, you know, I forgot one thing. Pray. We need to pray for a revolution in this nation of hearts and minds. So thank you for everything you've done, brother. And I, God bless you, bro.
Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with A.J. Hurley of Survivors of the Abortion Holocaust. Thank you so much for listening to us this week. If you'd like to check out past shows, you can head over to LifeSiteNews.com, click on the podcast tab. You can find my podcast there. We make our content available on all of the platforms where you download your podcast. And every single week, we try to keep you up to date with what's going on in the pro-life movement, in the culture wars. We do hope you enjoyed is probably the wrong word for this show, but we do hope that you learned a lot and that you found it worth the listen. And if you did, please do subscribe. Thanks so much for joining us this week, and we hope you'll join us again next week.